previously on Little Bit Leave It. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Little Bit Leave It, the podcast where we talk Love Island, UK in the USA. My name is Ben, and with me, as always, my podcasting partner and partner in life, Becca. Hey, hey, hey. Today should be an interesting one. I'm running on no good sleep and desperate to get outside for some sunlight. Do you remember what sunlight looks like? I think I saw some this morning, but I'm not really sure what it was. I pretty much live my life in a basement with no windows. So no, I don't remember what sunlight is You're not supposed to tell people like. that. Are you trying to get me arrested? I would never, ever try to get you arrested, And actually, honey. I was going to make a joke about you keeping me held hostage down here in order to record as many episodes as we can, but I guess that did not happen, did it? No, no, it didn't. You're the hostage this time. <laughs> I am the hostage this time, and I want to remind people that if they want to get me out of this hostage situation, they can go to patreon.com slash littlebitleaveit and support our little independent podcast with some money. You want them to give us money for me to hold you hostage? No, no. Is it like ransom? Like give us money and I'll let Ben go? Basically, I'm I'm hoping that they can give the money and then you will let me out. Mm, We'll see. Oh, okay. Today we're going to be talking about season six, episode 22 of Love Island UK. We are going to be doing a deep dive into kilts and plaids. Beck has some really interesting information about that. Of course, we're going to talk about fashion and we're going to rank the couples. And I wanted to quickly do a little bit of housekeeping and let you guys know some really exciting stuff that's coming up on the podcast. We are going to have a real-life Bristolian somewhere in the next so many episodes. Come on and tell us what we did wrong in our Bristol deep dive. And if there's anything I like more than knowing everything, it's being told, I don't know shit. And maybe he will also give us some tips on cool places to see and things to do in Bristol. Actually, he will do that. We already know that he does. We've done the interview already. We've also got... I don't want to spoil it, but we got a very exciting phone call from ITV7. We don't want to get too much into the details. It's a really preliminary deal at this point. I mean, it's not even a deal. It's just we're talking. talking. Yeah, we're talking to ITV7. We got something really exciting, I think, hopefully. In the works. Yes. We're still a ways away on that one, though. Be ready. So, season six, episode 22, we're still at Casa Amor, and really, that's where the first segment of the episode focuses. A lot of focus, in particular, on Nas and Eva. Nas and Eva, they're getting their flirt game on strong. Of course, Mr. Mike has to crash their flirting by intercepting a compliment meant for Nas. Mike is indeed a donut, Nas's favorite diss. Yeah, anytime he gets to say somebody's a donut, I love it. Nas and Eva are bonding over their shared ethnic heritage. Nas is half Guyanese and half Pakistani. Eva is a quarter Caribbean and a quarter Pakistani. What are the odds? Nas has a great joke here. Eva says, oh, she really wants a guy with good teeth. And Nas says, why? Oh, are mine nice? And she says, yes, why? He says, I brush them. (laughs) Yeah, they they talk about their future. They hint at marriage. They're talking about what each of them are like in a relationship. And Eva says, actually, I don't really know. I'm just bullshitting. You'll have to tell me in a year. I thought that was such a smooth way for her to suss out how Nas is feeling. If Nas is seeing her as girlfriend material or friend material or hookup material. Although I think we can all see that's not where his head's at. Yeah, he clearly likes her. And I think he clearly likes her more than he likes Demi. Oh, 100%. His head is turned. He even says he's thinking of Demi, but he's not missing her. Yeah, and she clearly likes him too. So this is a great couple. I really like them. Yes, and I have a question, but it's spoilery, so I cannot ask it. Oh, I think you'll have to save that for the after show. So if you want to hear it, you'll have to give us some money on patreon.com slash little bit leave it. Let's talk about another one of my favorite Casa couples. Mike and Priscilla? Yeah. Oh, that was a good guess. Ian is zinging Mike for reusing all his chat lines. Mike is trying to tell Priscilla that it takes him a long time to develop feelings and open up, which you and me and anybody who's ever seen the first half of the show knows is a lie. Mike drops feels really fast. Yeah, and Priscilla has watched 
a lot of the show. I mean, she might not have watched the one or two episodes right before Casa Amor, but she has watched a lot of the show so far. She even asked, oh, how do you think Jess will react? And Mike, of course, says, oh, I don't think she'll mind that much, which, you know, that's Mike actually being truthful. So then we've got a boys chat. Mike says he's focusing on what he can control as his approach. And all he can control is what he does at Casa. Yeah, so he's set on bringing back Priscilla, which is the right move for him, honestly. She is an adult, and I think as much as we may or may not like Mike, Mike is also an adult, and I think he needs an adult lady to adult with. To pay bills and get health insurance and, I don't know, what do, what do grown-ups do? Go to the dentist? Apparently. I think similarly... The dynamic that is emerging between Molly and Callum is a little interesting, too. She seems a lot more mature than him. So I wanted to mention that in one of those intro scenes coming up on Love Island, Callum finally looks relaxed and happy. He's either made peace with his decision to go out with Molly or he's finally taken a good shit. And knowing how I eat on vacation, I'm kind of torn between the two. Yeah, could be both. It's really a toss-up, could totally be both. So Molly, though, she's criticizing Callum for not being open with his feelings. While she thinks she has been very open, and I think she has been fairly open, he's been kind of cagey. She's been very open. So she's got the shiny powder on, and she's trying to rub it on Callum after he notices it. And he says, I don't want to look shiny. I'm happy the way I am. She's been classically flirting with him this whole time. Beyond just telling him, I want to know how you feel, she touches him all the time. That is a classic, classic flirt move. So listen, all you young bucks, if you're in a situation with a girl where she is always touching you and always looking at you and literally telling you they're trying to get a read on you, shoot your respectful shot, dude. Yeah, we know that about 35 to 40% of our listeners are guys. So listen to Beck's advice here. Or how? Queer girls. Yeah, anybody really. If, if someone's touching you, they probably like you. Well, right. that's why I said shoot your respectful shot. Yeah. Some people are touchy-feely people and them touching you is a sign of high regard, but not necessarily sexual regard. Or, yeah, connection, but not necessarily sexual connection. Exactly. But you should still shoot a respectful shot. Don't say, titties. But, you know, be like, hello, Melinda Gates. You're looking beautiful today. I see that you are no longer being fulfilled. May I take you out for some Chipotle? Not a sponsor. And Callum does seem to reflect on that conversation a bit. At the end of the night, the guys are getting ready for bed. And Callum says... He really does need to be more open and prioritize his feelings. Yeah. And the girls are encouraging Molly. He left the door open and he just wants you to push it. I don't think it should have to all be on Molly's shoulders, but as of right now, it is. And I can understand why she's hesitant to make a big move. No one wants to get rejected, but he should be careful or he's going to frighten her away. It's a good thing her friends are there to support her. Yep. I really hate Molly so much less this go around. Me too. You know, the first time we watched, I feel like we were so on the Shauna train. Yeah, that train crashed. Yeah, that train crashed over the the last six months or so. So the girls chat with Molly, Callum, Nas, and Mike. This is like their second conversation of the episode. I am really, really sick of listening to Callum, Nas, and Mike weighing their options over and over and over. The show has been on for like 10 minutes and we've had two of those conversations already. Yeah, it is a little much. Thankfully, we get a new day. We get new conversations. I just wanted to mention at the villa, though. Can we talk about the sleeping arrangements over at the villa? Sure. So we've got Jess and Shauna and Paige on the couch. George by himself. Shawnice by herself. Chad by himself. Josh by himself. Alexi by himself. Demi and Biggs in a platonic bed share. And Rebecca and Jordan. These guys are lonely and sad. They got a real bunch of flops. It's really interesting because at Casa Amor, everybody's getting along. Sparks are flying over at the Casa. Yeah, I'm guessing we're going to see, what, at least three, maybe four girls come back to the main villa? Well, Luke M has nothing to worry about. Luke M is going to do it. Mike is pretty set. Yep. I would put money on Callum. Me too. And maybe Nas. And Nas too, I think, at this point. Yeah, I think the only guys who are not bringing girls back are going to be Finn and Luke T. They better not. Yeah, a real contrast between the successes for the new girls and the new guys. 
at the main villa, like you said, we see a lot of Shauna and Paige, but I do think that the show did a great job with the editing in this episode and kind of switching back between the villa and Casa Amor for a lot of these scenes, really tying together a lot of disparate conversations into a really coherent narrative. Jordan is making Rebecca breakfast. We all know what happened to the last guy who made Rebecca breakfast, but this guy is either better informed or smarter or both because he knows what Rebecca likes. Rebecca likes Cocoa Pops and green tea. Very simple. And so he's joking with Alexi. I believe it's Alexi about, you know, there's no way he can screw it up. It's super simple. And he says, what is she going to say? She doesn't like the color of the bowl. So I wonder, and I think I sort of asked this before, if she had liked Wallace, would she have eaten the avocado toast? If Wallace had made the right food, would she have been kinder to him? Maybe. She's not a nice person. Yeah, she's not nice. Everybody thinks she's really mean. So I'm going to say no, she would not have liked anything that Wallace brought her. It's just that I like Rebecca in these episodes and I'm trying desperately to find a silver lining and why. Look, I can like watching her on TV without liking her as a person or liking her character rather on the show. I just feel like she's somebody I'd hang out with, but we'd also get into a hundred fights. Quite possibly. There is a scene at the end of this episode that I was like, okay, Rebecca and I would totally be friends, but we would fight all the time. So I will let you know when we get there. But I think you already know what I'm talking about. She shares my sense of humor. Yep. So over at Casa. Over at Casa, yeah, the attention is still on Nas and Eva. We've got what I think is really a producer-initiated segment here where we've got the guys and the girls separated by gender, both of them simultaneously having conversations about Nas and Eva. I guess it could be a coincidence or it could be the producers trying to move the show along. Yeah, so Eva is in a similar place as Molly. She has to do all the initiation, all the work. Eva puts it that she feels friendly, but not in the friend zone. But Eva's starting to worry a little bit too about her place in Nas's emotions. Which is funny because after last night, I would think she would be reassured, but it seems largely because he is not kissing her that she is worried. And meanwhile, at the villa, Demi is talking about how she'd be gutted if Nas brought someone back. Yeah. Paige, God love Paige. Paige is annoyed at Finn for not coming back yet, even though she knows that they have no choice in the matter. The masterful editing here, we go right to Finn saying he is committed to Paige. Callum says he'll be surprised if Shauna was with someone else, but out of sight, out of mind. Luke T is praying Shawnee's is still available. Yeah, and he also reaffirms his commitment as well. All right, here we get back to one of my uh, favorite parts of this episode, back at the villa. Are you talking about when Biggs asks Jess if her butt is real? That's one of them. What? Yeah, I'm familiar with the concept of butt implants. Yes, they're dangerous if you don't get them at a good place. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I know that they exist. It's not something I think of as being particularly common compared to other types of body modification surgery, whether that's breast implants or collagen injections or Botox I feel like I haven't seen a lot of women with fake butts, but maybe that's just because I don't know how to tell the difference. Maybe, but well, he, he starts off by asking her if she does a lot of squats, right? which is almost creepier somehow. Yeah. Because you're not really sure what he's getting at, but they have a good time. She and Biggs are getting along and along comes that whole lot of man. Oh yeah. Ched just walks up and starts grafting right away. Jess is happy about her options. It's still super awkward. She definitely feels both giggly and trapped. Yep. And as much as I've been complaining about the Paige and Shauna whining, they're very funny. They really want to know when the boys are coming back. Shauna wants to know when to shave her legs again. Okay. And when to brush her teeth again. And I hope this is a joke because dental hygiene is not to be messed with. I also think it's funny that Paige is planning to wear a long white dress like a bride and Shauna's going to wear black like a funeral. They know what's coming. I mean, Shauna even says she is that she is convinced Callum is going to dump her. And Paige says, oh, someone is going to surprise us. Now, I don't know if Paige is specifically thinking that Callum is going to surprise, but wow, what a premonition. We go right from Shauna and Paige to a conversation between the girls and Casa, Natalia, Molly, Priscilla, 
And Natalia is basically telling the girls they have to be aggressive. They have to graft because some of these guys have girls back at the villa that they know like them. So you really do need to show that you really like them if you want to stay on Love Island. Yeah, I think Natalia's got good advice, especially for Molly. She tells Molly to do a small gesture that will leave a lasting impression. And Molly's really nervous, which I found very endearing. So she goes over to the kitchen and gives Callum the most awkward shoulder massage I have ever seen and then comes away feeling pretty confident. I don't know, Molly. I don't know if that was the gesture that's going to leave a long lasting impression. That didn't seem particularly enjoyable for either of you. Yeah. But I'm sure they both enjoyed the fact that they were touched slash being touched by the other. So. so one of the really interesting things about the hesitancy here. So Natalia says, oh, the guys really need you to show that you like them because otherwise, why would they take the risk to dump a girl that they know likes them? Which is an interesting way of thinking about the show. And I think in a sense, she is projecting. In my opinion, Natalia is largely on the show to become famous especially when she starts off at Casa saying, oh, Finn, you're absolutely the only guy for me. You're the only one. And then he says, well, I am only interested in Paige. And so she quickly tries to find somebody else to graft. Okay, but wait, wait a second. What is she going to do? Just like give up and be like, oh, well, Finn doesn't like me. I guess I'm just going to sit here and like pick my nose for oh, three no. days. Oh, no, I'm not criticizing her for doing any of that. Look, everybody's on the show to get famous. Everybody's on the show to get famous. Not Shawnee's. Maybe not Shawnee's, maybe not a couple other people, but a lot more people in these later seasons, they're aware of the consequences in terms of what it can do for their careers if they want to be influencers. I think that Natalia is giving them really good strategic advice. But I would also guess that the reason that Callum is hesitant is not because he is thinking, oh, Shauna really likes me. I think the reason that Callum is hesitant is because he knows that the guys on the show who dump their original partners at Casa, they tend not to be liked so much by the public, and they tend to get some crap from the tabloids. A lot of time those guys act like true wiener farts about it too. Yeah, you don't want to be Michael or Curtis from right. season five. Right, don't be a dick about it. Just say, like, I'm really sorry, I had a change of heart. Josh from season four did a good job. Yeah. He tried. He tried to do a good job. Yeah, he tried to do a good job, but I think even he really got a lot of crap for what he did. He did. But back to the episode. Wow. Priscilla. Priscilla comes out at night with a brand new haircut. She's rocking a blonde lob, which is a long bob. Yeah, and what I didn't know is that this is actually a violation of her employment contract with the production company, you're not allowed to make those kinds of changes to your hair. In fact, the things that she had been doing earlier by changing up her hairstyle were also prohibited. But as she explains, I think in an interview after she left the show, yeah, the blonde thing was a bit of a risk, but I knew that the producers already liked all the things that I was doing to change up my style. So I figured that they would be okay with it. And she was right. I mean, she managed to rock that hairstyle too. Yeah, she's awesome. I would love to interview Priscilla, actually. Yeah, but virtually. Yeah, she's not vaccinated. She's not getting anywhere near us. And also she lives in the UK. Yeah, and also she lives in the UK. But yes, Priscilla looks gorgeous. Mike's on board. Meanwhile, in the villa, Jess is debating between Biggs and Ched. So it's very clear that the Mike and Jess relationship is not an entity. Jess actually says that she likes Ched because he comes on stronger. Kind of a 360, as they say. Yeah, a real 360 for Jess. So she has a strong lean towards Ched, and that's just in time for another game. Yay, raunchy twister. Twister, emoji twister. It's raunchy, but there's emojis involved. Yeah, so it's twister. They have to put their hands and feet on the emojis, and then they have to do the dirty little actions. You've seen the show before. You know what's going on. The points don't matter, and nobody wins. I think it's pretty cool watching this. You see Luke M really goes for it with Natalia. He goes hard on the neck licking and the snogging. Callum crashes the snog, which is hilarious. He's got his face in there grinning like a cheese ball. Yeah, I thought that was really funny. Natalia, though, what do you think of her reaction? She was not as entertained or amused by it. I wonder if Luke M has bad breath. Ooh. 
That's a real question. Interesting. That could be some of the reason he's not having much luck with women in the villa. Luke T, though, Luke T is a king. He bails during the snog part. He quote unquote falls because he does not want to snog Jamie. Yeah. And you know who else really bails who does not want to snog Demi? That's right. Demi's not having it. Meanwhile, Nas is disappointed that he and Eva were DQ'd before the snog because he's rationalizing it. Well, it's okay to kiss Eva if it's part of a game, but I cannot kiss her extracurricularly because that's not cool. Yeah, I think that Nas, you know, he does go probably a little bit beyond what we normally see on Love Island when he says it's not about what they're doing over there. It's about what I'm comfortable with doing here at Casa. He's not comfortable snogging Eva without speaking to Demi first and letting her know. He's moved on. Yeah. I think those actions are very stand up on the outside world. I think they're a little prissy for Love Island. It's not Respect Island. It's not Respect Island. That's that's good. Thank you. I think that it's really honorable for Nas to do this. I think that Eva seems disappointed, but understanding. Even though she's smiling and he's saying the right things, it felt more like a breakup. You bring back Eva to the villa. Demi knows what's up as soon as she sees Eva in the next episode or two episodes when that happens. So Ian Sterling makes a great point. Why are you even bothering? He's right. You're right. Nas takes it too far. So we get another Mike and Priscilla chat, this time with a big audience. Yeah, everybody, everybody is watching. Get the popcorn out. He's a shark. And we're watching. The cast is all watching along with us. It is so great. I love this scene. Yeah, and of course, that's where our episode's title comes from. Pressure makes diamonds, baby. Pressure makes diamonds and they kiss and everybody cheers. I had so much. This really actually reminded me of being that age. I really enjoyed this scene. Yeah. It's nice to say, oh, I don't want any pressure. No pressure. Let's just let things go easy breezy. But if two people like each other and there's no real obstacles in the way, a little bit of pressure is okay. Respectful pressure. Boundaries. Yeah. I'm a fan of the Mike and Priscilla romance. I'm becoming a bigger fan of Mike as we are moving along here. As you know, I was not so much a fan a lot of this season so far. So we go right from the romantic and sentimental to Rebecca talking about my friend Rebecca. The worst Rebecca. Pontificating about what would happen if all the boys came back without girls. Well, I'll tell you. No, Rebecca will tell you what would happen. It would be a cock feast. I'm yeah, crying. She... I am crying. That is so funny. Then she talks about whopper choppers. Yeah. I... Yeah. I can't. I, I can't. I don't even know. And then the girls, of course, conspire to get Jess some isolated one-on-one -on -one time with each of Chad and Biggs so she can make her decision. And again, we got some really nice cuts back and forth. First between Jess and Biggs and then Chet and the rest of the girls. Rebecca and Shawnee are supporting their girl Jess. And since Chet is so much more assertive, they decide that they need to give Jess some time to talk to Biggs alone. Because every time Jess is with Biggs, Chet finds his way in. So everyone is hanging out as a group over at the villa. Jess goes to the kitchen to get more snacks. And Shawnice asks Biggs if he would go to the kitchen and get snacks for her. And at first, Biggs is a little thrown, like, that's a weird request. But then he puts two and two together, and he hightails it right out of there. You can see Ched realizing that this is not good for him. But he is a stand-up guy, and he sticks around. And then everybody grills him. And it doesn't come off as an interrogation, because everybody plays along. They ask him about cheating in his longest relationship. He's not a cheater. I don't remember how long his longest relationship was. They ask him about his body count, which was respectable for a super whole lot of hunk of man in his early 20s. Paige's body count is only five, by the way. And it skews me to know that one of them is probably Louis Capaldi. Paige could do better. So yeah, that was yeah. a lot of words. I apologize. At the end of this little process, you know, I think Jess is now definitely going toward Ched over Biggs. And her conversation with Biggs was really cute, though. I didn't even give that any uh, air. This is where our deep dive came from. They're chatting about futures and getting married. And 
She asks him if he's going to wear a kilt. And uh, and that's the inspiration for the deep dive, actually. I just said that. Yeah. Actually. Oh. The episode wraps up with a scene I think we've all been waiting for, even more than the Mike and Priscilla kiss. Callum sits Molly down to finally open up to her, to tell her how he feels. He comes across as very collective. He comes across as more mature than he's been the whole time. And we finally get... Some full-on snogging. And I have to say it again. I said it last episode, and I'm going to say it again. Callum does owe some regard to Shauna in that she has taught him what women expect and what women want, how to talk to women, how to flirt with women, how to be proactive, and also unintentionally taught him how he should expect to be treated. Yeah, Callum has already grown in this season in a really big way. I don't know if... Callum would have been able to open up like this to Molly if she was an original Islander and they were meeting in the first day of the show. No, he's a wet wipe. This finally dried him out a little. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. Callum really does seem to dry out over the course of this, these first few weeks of the season. So we will see just how messy things are going to get in the next episode. I'm excited. Today's episode of Little Bit Leave It is brought to you by ShareSpace, the world's number one collaborative website development platform. Are you putting off developing a website for your business to advance your career or promote your latest creative project? We don't blame you. It's a ton of work. The answer is ShareSpace, the world's number one collaborative website development platform. When you sign up for ShareSpace, you tell them your goals for your website, and they'll place you into a team of dozens of other entrepreneurs and artists who basically are kind of trying to do something similar, maybe. You all share the same website and same domain, and everyone can edit anything whenever they want to make it really easy to get all of that web development work done. Just listen to these testimonials. ShareSpace made building a website for my lawn care business easy and fast. I simply changed all the contact info listed on the shared website and I was done. Dozens of instant customers. ShareSpace is perfect for my current performance art project where I just mess with people's resumes and then record any social media posts they make about their job interviews. Yes, it's art. Who are you to say what's art? It's like $2 a month. What do you have to lose? And when you sign up using the code LittleBitLeaveItPodcast50, you'll get 10% off your first month's subscription. Share space. You know how to share, right? Little Bit Leave It is an independent, listener-supported podcast. And you can support us by subscribing at patreon.com slash littlebitleaveit. For just $2 a month, you'll get bonus content with every single episode of Little Bit Leave It. That's right, it's our after show, Spoils of Love. You'll also get to download episodes two days before everybody else. I don't know if that's a treat or a punishment, though. But for $5 a month, here's a big treat. You get access to the Discord server, and you can talk to me and Ben and our one patron about Love Island or really anything you choose. Oh, God, please sign on. It's so boring. You also get access to our super duper awesome bonus episodes like our Caroline Flack retrospective and our March Madness tournament. You've got hotties versus hustlers. You've got London versus Essex. Who's the number one Love Islander? Only true Brits know. That's right. Go to patreon.com slash little bit leave it. So today we're going to talk about Scottish kilts and tartans. Inspired by Big Z and Jess's conversation about kilts and marriages. I thought we would talk a little bit about the history of the kilt and a little bit about the plaids and the styling of the kilt. Before I go into it, I just want to acknowledge that I got a lot of this material from albanach.org, A-L-B-A-N-A-C-H.org. 
written by Reverend Mr. Matthew Newsom. He worked at the Scottish Tartans Museum in North Carolina for 14 years, making his way up to being curator. He's also trained to make kilts and designed tartans for individuals, families, and institutions. Consulted a couple other sources too, but I just wanted to give a shout out to Reverend Mr. Newsom, without whose work this deep dive would have been longer and harder. And if you like it longer and harder, that's your problem, not mine. So the kilt comes from the Scottish Highlands. We're back on the Scottish Highlands. Around the 16th century, it was the traditional garment for men and boys to wear. It started as the, and I'm going to say it once in the Scottish. I looked up the pronunciation and then I am not going to use the Scottish pronunciation again. Capiche? Capiche. It originally started as the Faliagmore, known as the belted plaid or the great kilt. That's not the direct translation, but that is what it is. It was a full length, almost a blanket, usually made of tartan, which is a wool cloth woven into a plaid. It was about five feet wide and 12 to 18 feet long. It was wrapped around and gathered at the waist by a belt belted plaid. The bottom fell to the knee and the top could be draped over the shoulder or used as a hood. So basically it was kind of like a blanket that you just wrapped around your body and used a belt to tighten. That is literally what I just said. Yeah. So thank you for listening. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. So it was actually made of two regulation pieces of cloth that were issued to the soldiers. Okay. I was going to say, what regulation was that? Okay. Got it. The soldiers each got... Yeah, blankets. Blankets, and they would sew two of them together to make these. And these great kilts can be seen in Braveheart, even though it wouldn't be invented for another 300 years. Dude, seriously, fuck Mel Gibson. Fuck him. Yeah. If you wanted to see it, that's a good place where you may have already seen it. You can also go on the Google and just look up great kilt or belted plaid, but I'm telling you that... Don't give Mel Gibson your money. No. Even though they were the traditional garment, they're known for being worn by the strong, swift Highlands Army. And they were really useful for a lot of reasons. It allowed the soldiers to be comfortably and conveniently dressed for war. The tight wool weave is warm and waterproof. The pleats in the back served as armor. No arrows in your bum. There were many folds in it. So that could be used for storage. You could tuck your fruit or your... Yeah, some tater tots in there. Tater tots. It also served as camouflage as the many lines and stripes break up a silhouette like a tiger stripes. What? Are there tigers in Scotland? My dude. Okay, I'm I'm going to kick you out and do this by myself. Okay. And at night, it could be removed and used as a blanket. Or if you really needed to move fast, you could just whip it off and run. (laughs) That's okay. The regular folk had somber colors and the flashy colors were worn by the upper crust. In the late 17th century, in the early 18th century, it started morphing into the phalig beck. Not going to use that again either. The small kilt or the walking kilt which more resembles the one that we see today. It was basically just the bottom half of the great kilt. Also, you save some time. You don't have to sew the blankets together now. That's exactly right. It's not so crazy that the small kilt developed because instead of ripping a big thing apart, you're just not putting two smaller things together. Yeah. I'm going to tell you the commonly accepted story about how this small kilt came to be. The invention of the small kilt goes back to about 1715. There was an iron maker named Thomas Rawlinson, and he was a Quaker from Lancashire. What, an English guy invented the small kilt? Yes. He hired Highlanders from... Inverness. To work at his iron furnaces. I wonder if any of them were related to Wallace. Probably. The great quilts were too unwieldy for smelting ore and manufacturing charcoal. He decided that he was going to design a smaller garment, and he was known for being clever and inventive. So he actually is credited for making not the first short kilt, but the first pre-pleated short kilt. In all of the reading I did, there is a lot about kilt design and manufacturing and what parts developed at which part of the history. And I'm not getting super into clothing design because I could do a whole deep dive just on the construction. So let's just give Rawlinson some credit for making the first pre-pleated kilt. He and his business partner, Ian McDonnell, who was the chief of the McDonald's of Glengarry, Glenn Ross. There you go. They wore the small kilt themselves and it took off. Okay, so I was going to skip this, but Ben wants me to mention it. Obviously, many Scots were upset that the invention of the small kilt is credited to an Englishman. And they point to a portrait of Lord, I'm sure it's Duffus, but we're going to call him Lord Doofus. 
It's a portrait of him from 1700 that shows him maybe wearing a small kilt, but experts disagree. Some experts think that it could just be a great kilt doubled up. Gotta throw my boys in the Jacobites. A lot of the Scottish Highland clans were fighting with the Jacobites. They were fighting against the 1707 Union of Britain and Scotland, as well as for their own personal self-interest. They had their own little grudges to deal with. It led to an association of tartans with the Jacobite cause. I'm going to just leave it there. I just felt like I had to mention them. So the Dress Act of 1746 was a direct effort to try to quell these Highland clans after the Jacobite uprising of 1745. The Dress Act of 1746 banned the tartan and the carrying of weapons to try to bring these warrior clans under the control of the government. It was repealed in 1782 or 1785. I've seen a couple different years, but by that time, the Scots had started dressing like everybody else and they were no longer very interested in wearing the kilt and many of the traditional weavers had died. Also interesting to note that before 1792, if you wanted to wear a kilt in the lowlands or Britain, you had to join the British army and be assigned to a Highlands regiment like the Black Watch, which sounds like a Game of Thrones thing. So the kilt might have been dead on its feet, except in 1822, King George IV visited Scotland and wore a kilt. He told the people of Scotland, where are your tartans? Let's all have a big Scottish tartan kilt party. Woohoo! But since many of the traditional weavers had died, new tartans were designed. And this is the origin of the clan tartans. It's only from the early 19th century. So a little bit of invented history there. Yes, I had always assumed and I think been told that, oh yeah, all of those tartans that you see, all of those plaid patterns go back to Macbeth and all those guys from way, way back in the 1300s. Not like Robert Bruce had his own tartan. Robert Bruce would have been around during the early days of kilts, but did not have a tartan. Interesting. The other way that tartans kind of became clan patterns is that different kilt makers in different areas would make the patterns that were the most popular and the prominent members of society and the families would wear those kilts from that weaver. So eventually over time, that family and that weaver's pattern got tied together in the collective mind. Interesting. Right. So you kind of had those two different ways that the clan tartan was invented. The Royal Stuart is the best known, worn by the Highlands clans and Scottish royalty. It was first published in 1831, worn by numerous regiments of the Scottish army, and by the general public as a British symbol, though technically Queen Elizabeth II has sole ownership. Man, that royal fan was such a scam. Okay, so adjustments were made to the kilt over the 19th century. They used different amounts of cloth, different pleat patterns, etc. But by the end of the 19th century, the kilt resembled what we see today, made of approximately eight yards of cloth, knife pleated. The pattern and the pleats are made to set or stripe, which I will get into, with a lining, tapered hips, and some form of closure system. So there's a little history on the kilt. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the kilt as a clothing item. The Gordon Regiment, those were the British Army members in the Highlands, their kilts were pleated to stripe as opposed to being pleated to set. The set is the pattern. To pleat to stripe, and you should look this up because when you see pictures, it'll make a lot more sense but I tried to do my best here. If you're listening on Patreon, we will throw some links to some images in the show notes. Cool, we will. To pleat to stripe is to have every pleat identical with a vertical tartan stripe centered on each pleat. This way, the back looks different from the front. It would have the big plaid set in the front. You would see the whole thing. And in the back, you would just see a bunch of small pleats, each with a vertical line running down it. This is the way that the military kilts were made, and it was said that this made them a more striking and uniform look. It was also more cost-effective as you could make more pleats per meter of fabric. To pleat to set is to continue the pattern through the pleats so the front and the back look the same, and it's the most popular way to wear them for civilians. Most tartans are two to six colors. The set is about six to eight and a half inches before it repeats again. So the design is measured in thread count to keep it consistent, but it's the color proportions that make the pattern, 
not the thread count. So your set might have 250 threads, but it's really how much red versus how much blue versus how much green is in it, not how many threads are in it. Because if you make a tartan out of silk, it's gonna be different than if you make it out of wool, how many threads you need. Tartans are almost always symmetrical with the set repeating in the same sequence, both vertically and horizontally. And then the colors mix into a composite where they cross. And actually it's really cool. Early weavers used pattern sticks to lay out each thread and check for consistency. And there was this little story that I didn't write down from the mid 1700s. A woman brought her pattern stick to a weaver and then brought him to court because she accused him of not following her pattern. And the court ruled in favor of her and he was punished. So let's talk about colors. Until 1855, vegetable dye was used. And it's really remarkable how flexible it was. They could really make any color. They were not limited at all by the fact that they were using vegetable dye. But, you know, in the mid-1800s, as everything industrialized, chemical dyes were developed. The first chemical dye was developed in 1856, and it was called Perkins Purple. But early patterns focused on black, blue, red, and green, with dark and light colors really counterbalanced. The reds ranged from pink to scarlet. You know, really, really light to really, really dark. The red dye was expensive, so any red was prized. But the greens were usually olive and the blues were usually navy. And then as the chemical dyes became more popular, they added more colors into the palette, even though they could have already made other colors. So most tartan patterns come in three shades, ancient, modern, and weathered. Which one is the oldest? Well, the ancient one, right? It is not. Oh. I'll tell you why. The modern also known as ordinary, is the oldest. Oh, well, if you had called it the ordinary, maybe I would have guessed that was the first one because ordinary is kind of implies original, right? Well, modern is the oldest. The colors are derived from that vegetable dye and they're usually pretty dark. Unfortunately, when they're produced chemically, they don't usually have the same subtlety. So the old, also known as ancient or vegetable colors, were developed after World War II. And they were mid to light shades meant to look old, like stonewashed jeans. Okay. The weathered shades were meant to look like they had been buried in a bog for hundreds of years so that the colors faded to earth tones. And let me guess, these get progressively more expensive the crappier they look? I bet. There's also the hunting tartan, and that's a darker earth-toned plaid for clans who have a bright tartan that would be unsuitable for hunting. And the same tartan pattern will differ based on the mill. And so while I'm talking about all these different patterns and colors and shades, the basic premise is if you change a full color, like from red to blue, you're changing the tartan pattern, but you can change that red from brick to scarlet to orange and it'll stay the same tartan. And finally, for some funsies and more information, you can go to clan.com slash tartan designer and you can design your own tartan. Oh, so you know what I'm doing. Yeah, and you can also read some of the stuff that I put in here. I have to also give that website a thank you for some very informative stuff. Yeah, I'm going to go design the little bit Leave It Tartan. You should. So I hope that was informative. Not quite as heavy as some of the other ones. Definitely not quite as long. But uh, yeah. I think it's time for a little culture shock. Just got one. And I only mention it because it means the exact opposite of what I thought it meant. Okay. Mike says that he and Jess have bear in common. Sounds like it should mean nothing in common. Yes. But it actually means the opposite, you're saying? Yes, it means the opposite. They have everything in common. They have a lot. They have a lot in common. Did you see where bear comes from? Is that slang or is it? Bear is slang for a lot. Bear like bear legs, bear head, bear chest. B-A-R-E. Yes. Would not have made that. Do you know the origin? I did not find the origin. Okay. If you know the origin, email us, littlebitleaveitpodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us via social media. On that note, I think it is time for the TNA Report. The TNA Report. You want to talk about Casa and then Villa? That's fine. We can go Casa first. I also have, I think, a good segue between the Casa and the Villa. So let's start with Casa. Okay. I only have two for Casa. Okay. I've got Priscilla's hair. Yeah, her new hair, huge positive. I mean, it wasn't like an upgrade, but it's cool and it's different and kudos to her. Yeah. I've also got, I really liked Molly's white top with the blue flowers there at the end. Oh, I'm so glad you said this. Because it reminds me of the wallpaper that used to be my grandmother's kitchen. That's not where I thought you were going with it. 
but a good place to go nonetheless. Where were you going with it? Because that's all I had for Casa. I'm so glad you mentioned Molly wearing that blouse with the white pants because it's actually pretty similar to the blouse that Shauna is wearing at the villa and she is wearing white shorts in what I think is a really classic combination, kind of preppy. I think she carries it really well. So positive for Shauna. The black and white crop top and the shorts. I'm talking about. Um, at night? Yeah, at night. Exactly. They're not very similar, but they both look cute. It was like navy and white, right? It might have been navy. I thought yeah. it was black. Like I just thought it was interesting. They were both wearing like navy and white blouses and white shorts or pants. And they looked kind of similar to me that night. I did not even draw those two together, but I will give you. Yeah, something I noticed. I don't know if it was an intentional or just a coincidence, but I wouldn't be surprised if the producers. Highlighted. Yeah, tried to do that. So over at the villa, I did like Shauna's little outfit there. I surprisingly liked Jess's black bandeau and burgundy pants. Okay. I loved Shawnee's lacy black dress. I liked Paige's Barbie pink dress. Oh, I was a big fan of her hot pink dress. But I have to knock off a couple of points because her face and neck were very different colors. I did not even notice. And then a big, sad, wompity womp 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 for Rebecca's mauve pants and top cord. It did nothing for her skin. It did nothing for her figure. It was weird and ugly and lame and womp womp. Yeah, I had that as a negative. And my other big negative goes to George, who is just wearing. Yeah, exactly. Who's wearing an all black T-shirt and jeans. We should just call him Mr. Mustard, I guess. So Mr. Mustard is just wearing. He is wearing a black T-shirt with black jeans. He looks like he's the stage manager for an off-off-Broadway production or a junior architect in that outfit. That's really funny. I didn't even notice him because I didn't know he was still there. Well, he was fading into the background and wearing all black. That's why stage managers wear that outfit. I thought he left. I yeah. thought like he and the other people all just got in a bus and went somewhere else. They might as well. They might as well. Because he is not going to be getting any kind of play in this villa. Uh-uh, not this episode anyway. Are we ready? We are ready. It's about that time. The question is, are the listeners ready? No. They're Go not. Ahead. Get yourself a drink. Get some trail mix. Sit down if you're standing. Light a cigarette. We are going to. Put your pants on. Take your pants off. I won't judge. No, we're not going to do anything with people's pants. <laughs> They're going to do it. All right, but we are going to rank the couples. Yeah, yeah. Okay, are we going top to bottom or bottom? I think we go bottom to top this week. There's no real surprises, but sure. Yeah, so in the basement, she's just gotten really, really annoying. It's the pranging Shauna. 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 And right above Shauna. The bus to the library. Yeah, the bus to the library. That's Jade, George, Jamie, Josh, and Jalexi. Yeah, I think we should just call him Jalexi. It'll be easier. The J gang. Right above them at number nine, it is what looks to be a couple in the making at the main villa. Jess and Ched. Why do we put them down so low? I think it's because they're not quite a couple yet and Jess is going back and forth. Plus, it's not so much an indictment on them as just that everybody else had very strong episodes. At number eight, Big Z. Yeah. Big Z, who is so confident in his manhood that his whole lady gathering strategy is to sit back, chill out, and let the girls come to him. Cheers to you. A toast with mustard to you, Big. So he is definitely a Billy Big Balls just this week. That's why he's got to wear a kilt, fit his balls. Exactly. Just this week, he made some headlines because he asked a famous chef who won Iron Chef or some TV show in UK, some cooking TV show. Um, He asked him, hey, he's like, can I get a free meal at your restaurant and then I'll post about it in social media and I'll help promote you. And the chef decided that he was going to blow up Big Z's spot and say, look at this influencer trying to get a meal for free. What a, a loser. What a lame guy. I won't do that. You can't eat at my restaurant for free. And a lot of people were making fun of Biggs for doing that, but I don't know. I don't actually think he used that out of line for what he did. I mean, I won't knock the hustle. I don't think the chef needed to go ham on him, which is now my new like favorite thing, immediately making it uncool. I don't think you should ask for free shit. He's not really necessarily asking for free shit. He's saying, give me a free meal and I'll give you marketing benefits. He's basically asking for a trade. And I think the Billy Big Balls thing comes in because Big Z is not exactly 
let's just say he's not Sean Easton Luke T. He's not Shauna Phillips. He's not Amber Gill. He's not Molly May and Tommy. Big Z does not quite have the following of most other Islanders. Right. And, you know, a lot of people try to get other people to do free shit in exchange for exposure. And that's bullshit. I agree with you 100%. I do not think people should have to work for free for exposure. I don't think that's what's going on here. Okay, well, I did not see this story at all, so I am just talking out of... Yeah, I mean, influencers do this kind of stuff all the time, and it does actually have an effect, especially in consumer products. I think that the effect for restaurants is probably going to be a lot less because to go to a restaurant, you have to live within driving distance, presumably. To buy a product, you can just buy it online. So above Biggs, we've got... Rebecca, Jordan, and the Cock Feast. Yep. Above that, we've got Nas, Eva, and Demi in a little love triangle. I like Eva. I like Demi. Nas has grown on me. I think either way he goes, he is a good girl. And I thought it was nice to keep them all together. Number five, we've got Luke M and Natalia. This was really just because Luke M went so balls out at the challenge. And also because Natalia is giving Molly and Eva some decent advice. Yeah, he really went ham on her neck. Now, now you're just being ridiculous. At number four, it's Paige and Finn. Which is not a knock to them. Nope, not a knock at all. They just were not super exciting this episode because, well, there's not a whole lot for them to do when they're not with each other. Yep. At number three, it's Mike and Priscilla. Yes. I guess it could be argued that they should be second, but whatever. Yeah. And at number two, we have Shawnice and Luke T. And even though they're separate, they both just had good episodes, right? I'm thinking maybe we should have moved Mike and Priscilla up to number two. Yeah, I'm fine with that. So we're retroactively flipping Mike and Priscilla up to number two, Shawnice and Luke D down to number three. That's the first time we've ever done this on this podcast. We almost never agree. Yeah. Okay. And at the top spot for finally sealing the deal, for coming to grips with reality, embracing his true self, self-help metaphor, self-help metaphor, bada bing, bada boom. Callum and Molly. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, this is real balance to the rankings. We've got Shauna all the way at the bottom by herself at number 11. Callum and Molly are brand new couple, certainly going back to the main villa, coming in at number one. Yeah, so I'm really excited to see all of the guys return to the main villa in the next episode. Yeah. Wow. Episode 23. Yeah. Everybody comes back and we'll see what happens. Yeah, lots more drama. We've got a really exciting several episodes coming up. So this will be fun. All right, chickens and chickadees. Until next week, if you're not sticking around for Spoils of Love, we'll have to catch up with you later. So let's hit them with the socials. On the Twitter, Ben is at LBLI Podcast. I'm at LBLI Peng. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. If you visit the Love Island TV subreddit, you will find me very frequently commenting, especially on matters related to season six. Until next time, from Staten Island to Love Island. Not today, Santa. <laughs> <laughs>